1: February 14th, 1998, 6th grade. Dear diary. Dear Jesus. Dear sweet asswad. Adults sharing the embarrassing things they created as kids. So I wrote poems about masturbation. Before an audience of total strangers.
0: I feel like an idiot. I'm the only normal one in my entire family. Mom, you can't read this.
2: These are the stories hidden inside the pages of our past.
1: Welcome to the Mortified Podcast. I'm Neil, and today's episode peeks inside the diaries of a teenager obsessed with busting a move to the Spice Girls, wearing hemp necklaces, and planning elaborate murder mystery parties. Conventional wisdom states there's safety in numbers. For teenagers of all kinds, especially those coming to terms with their sexuality, this concept naturally has tons of appeal. Because when you meet a friend who seems to be facing the same confusion you are, you think, great, we'll get through this together. But as you're about to hear, sometimes friendships like these can create more questions than answers. The following was recorded at a Mortified event in 2015.
2: Um, hi, my name is Damian. Uh, I'm the youngest of six kids from like an Italian Catholic family. I started writing in this diary when I was 14 and um, I had just started a new school and this was a time in my life when people um, started dating and I was really confused about where I sort of fell into that whole scenario. Um, So luckily my new friend, uh, Johnny, um, was also confused. (laughs) So we struggled to find girlfriend material through like the trenches of high school um, uh, knowing like one thing and that was that we definitely were not gay. June 22nd, a very special day. Sometimes I think of myself as some overdramatic whack job, but then I wonder if I'm going through some ordinary teen angst. A strange thing is the fact that I'm always looking for some life-changing event. You know, something that makes everything clear. And after nothing exciting happens, I go and make up some signal that God has created for me. I want to tell someone all my thoughts from one, how comfortable I feel sexually, Or two, what I think of the new real world. (laughs) I am frightened that some of my thoughts will ruin one of my greatest friendships. Well, I hope this summer holds a lot of surprises. I'll see you soon. (laughs) I'll tell you today what life-changing event, hee hee, happened today (laughs) when the hype has calmed down. June 22nd, same day. Today, me and Johnny gave each other (laughs) blowjobs. And jerked each other off. We kinda had anal sex, but not really, just kinda pretended. (laughs) And it all started with me sucking his toes. You see, I was just kinda, well, a lot curious about giving Johnny a BJ. I have thought about that before, and we've joked around, but we've never done it. I guess sometimes I got the impression he wanted to as well, then I wondered how emotionally it would affect me. So I became very happy for an opportunity. We decided we weren't gay, bi, or in fact curious. He said we were only doing it because it was put out there, and why the hell not? (laughs) So I'll be honest, I've thought about men, yes, Johnny too. And I've gotten ill, literally, over the fact of that, because I love girls, too. And my family is very homophobic, and I wouldn't give my family up for anything. But as much as I kind of looked forward to this day, <sighs> sucking his dick, oh my God, it's like 12 inches. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't that special. I felt nothing. Him giving it to me rocked. That's not gay because BJ's feel good. (laughs) I also feel no baggage as far as nothing being the same. I feel we're more comfortable, yet even though me giving it to him made me feel nothing, I'm definitely hoping for a repeat sometime. (laughs) July 29th. So the blowjobs and jerking off have continued. We've referred to it as Joe, and it's quite an ordeal talking about it in code to people but it's a lot of fun. I'm not sure it will continue, though. Not that I'm not happy, but I'd like to end it nicely. An all-night Joe-fest. Do everything to get it out of our minds and make a new beginning. Frankly, I'm confused in Johnny's whole scenario. On another side note, where's my love life going? <laughs> I, feel so, I, <laughs> I feel so desperate, no joke. I really hate myself. I like me when I'm funny because I don't see me being taken seriously. It's like I want someone slash something special so bad, and it's like I don't know what I truly want. I want to know if there will ever be a girl I truly love and think is perfect, and she'll want me the same way. February 19th. Well, it's been months since I last wrote, but oh well, I have candles burning and Billy Joel playing. (laughs) I just can't believe how awesome life is. Um, So at this point in my diary, Johnny's mom um, walked in on us and found us fooling around after school one day, and so we weren't allowed to be friends, and, uh, or like they couldn't know that we were hanging out. March 11th, Dear Journal, I really need to rethink my priorities and all. <laughs> I watched the Cider House Rules tonight, <laughs> and it just kind of helped put things in perspective. <laughs> I wrote Johnny a letter. It basically said we would be friends one day, but I was giving up all temporary hope. I sure hope things work out okay. Well, I'm exhausted. Talk to you tomorrow. April 4th. Junior prom is Friday, and Johnny is having an exclusive party, which is so rude. The thing with me is I just wanna be perfectly happy, and I'm sick of people's differences, opinions, and feelings getting in the way of my happiness. (laughs) I'm tired, so I'm off, bye. May 7th. Howdy. It's been a while and life is just peachy. (laughs) Pippin just ended. (laughs) And I have been cast as David in David and Lisa. And Johnny is my friend again. Things are finally falling into place. All these questions I've had seem to be becoming a little more clear. I'm so happy. Muy contento. Adios. June 14th. Oh my goodness, Journal, if only you knew how much happier I am now than I was two months ago. I have been elected as corresponding secretary of thespians. (laughs) I am looking into an Italian cultural club and life is good. (laughs) School has ended and I hung out with Johnny twice the last day of school. Well, I'm heading off to clean my room, chow. March 11th, 2002. (laughs) As for Johnny and I being friends, well, his mom doesn't hate me quite as much as it Seems, but now his dad does. Super. And my real girl situations are stupid. I like Beth, but I don't. I like Lara, but I don't. And Kara likes me, but I don't. I wish I could start over like sophomore year. I would make things better for me. Will I still have Johnny? Where will I go to college? Who knows? I am lost in self-exploration. April 1st. Hey, journal. So life is pretty good. Currently, I feel strange. One, everyone thinks I am this shady, two-faced person. However, no one ever tries to get to know me, so how would they really know? I am not fake or shady or two-faced. People are just fucking gay. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Two, Johnny and I cannot hang out. Three, I like Beth right now, but I know in like a day my feelings may change and also everyone will be talking, which is understandable but annoying. May 20th, time passes. Funny how fast things go. When I graduate, I lose so much. If I take one friendship away from high school, please let it be Johnny. He has made me the person I am today. And not to have that in my future is devastating. Oh, Christ. So, I finally had to cut him out because I realized like he was never gonna come out and he was never gonna admit that he had feelings for me as well. Um, it only took like two weeks at college for me to come out of the closet. <laughs> yes. Uh, um see the right, it gets better. Thank you.
1: That was Damien, reading aloud his childhood writings with no embellishing, no exaggerating, just God-given awkwardness. Recorded on stage at Mortified in 2015. Some of the names and information heard in today's episode have been changed for the sake of privacy, and for the record, this is only one person's account of events, and we want to make it clear that we make no assumptions about the sexual orientation of anyone else cited in this story, except for the author. And stick around, there's more to the story as we chat with today's reader in our post-mortem, FIDE. We caught up with Damien and found out that back in high school, he and his friend were aiming to become the teenage answer to Rodgers and Hammerstein.
2: So we are writing a musical based on Billy Joel's music, and I think we were just trying to construct a plot that, like, kind of fit into the music.
1: This was actually years before Moving Out became a huge hit on Broadway.
2: We were really ahead of the curve. And I don't know that we had all of the songs we were going to definitely use. But we had talked about using the song We Didn't Start the Fire <laughs> as some sort of, like, montage medley. Also, I think scenes from an Italian Restaurant was the setup for the romantic storyline and, like, him meeting his wife. Hopefully, like, the lead character's name was, like, Eddie, and hopefully her name was Brenda.
1: Unfortunately, the friends never got a chance to see their creative vision through.
2: We had to stop working on it together once his mom found us together.
1: Being caught not only halted the writing of their musical, but also changed the story of their relationship forever.
2: I think that there was a lot of shame associated with it for both of us, um... I couldn't explain to my parents or my friends, while we weren't allowed to be friends anymore, he was the only person I could talk to about our friendship falling out. I think I kind of got vilified in the way that story was told to his parents. Um, and then I'm the one who came out, so it seemed like I was just sort of this gay villain seducing him and preying on him. That wasn't what it was ever, so just makes me, like kind of spums me out. In, like, the teen movie of his life, it's like, I'm this villain. And, like, in mine, he's just, like, the romantic lead to my guy.
1: But, of course, this became the narrative.
2: You know, all that I kind of need to know is that, like, I didn't make up this faux boyfriend that I had in high school. It was a real thing that we both had. Because it's like someone being like, you invented these feelings, or you invented that we have this sort of dynamic or this chemistry, has always been so infuriating.
1: Over the years, the Friends drifted apart. And much went unresolved, including their musical. While I never had a chance to come up with an ending, Damien does remember the play's climactic ballad.
2: I remember the song, And So It Goes, was supposed to be like a lullaby. The protagonist sang to his daughter. I think it was the big moment of the show where the main protagonist is vulnerable and open and uh, we see all of his cogs working and maybe understand his behavior for the first time, perhaps, uh, you know, why he did what he did, why he made the choices he did you know, I think that it was supposed to have the potential to just be really, like, a really beautiful, touching moment.
1: Which struck him as odd, because as far as he remembered, that song isn't about family, but about romance. So while we were talking, Damien decided to look up Billy Joel's lyrics.
2: In every heart there is a room, a sanctuary safe and strong, to heal the wounds from lovers past, until a new one comes along. (laughs) But if my silence made you leave then that would be my worst mistake. So I will share this room with you, and you can have this heart to break. So I would choose to be with you. That's if the choice were mine to make. But you can make decisions too, and you can have this heart to break. And so it goes, and so it goes, and you're the only one who knows.
1: I couldn't help but notice that at one point, Damien had an audible reaction to the lyrics.
2: I think it was the part but if my silence made you leave, it's just so interesting because I had no recollection of any of this. It's so strange because I feel like it's, v- I feel like it's really about us, and that's really weird.
1: I wondered if revisiting the lyrics as an adult for the first time was giving Damien any new insights about his high school friendship.
2: I think the song is full of regret, and I think that it's loss, and it's sad. I think like he chose it, and that's also like that's what I was just thinking about. Like, I don't hope that he feels anyway, but in like a romantic sense, I can look at these lyrics and be like, oh, this is some eerie message. You know, if my silence made you leave, that would be my worst
1: mistake. So does this new discovery provide any closure or comfort?
2: I think the part of me is like kind of bummed out that like I don't feel more emotion about it. That was surprising to me. I think that I thought it would hit some sort of chord that I would like listen to this song and feel like a flood of emotion. And I don't. I don't feel a flood of emotion, I I suppose, because I'm a grown-up. Like, years of my life just feeling really invested in this person and, like, for them to change or apologize. But now, it is, it kind of is what it is. And so it goes, I suppose, right? Like, and so it goes, and so it goes.
1: In searching for the song online, I was surprised to find quite a few choirs doing covers of And So It Goes, many of which were even performed by gay men's choirs. So I couldn't help but wonder, is that, like, a thing?
2: Maybe it's like the anthem for like the boy you were, the straight boy you were in love with in high school. I don't know. Maybe it's what every gay man needed to validate the longing for someone in high school who they swore felt the same way. But no, I I don't know. But that is fantastic.
1: To carry us out, here's a cover of "And So It Goes" as sung by the Gay Men's Choir, Washington D.C. Visit their YouTube channel to hear a full version. To share the shame, follow us on Facebook or Twitter, or visit GetMortified.com to learn about Mortified stage shows, books, films, and beyond. Click participate, and who knows, maybe you'll appear on a future episode of the series. Radiotopia is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, who celebrate creativity, chaos, and teamwork. If your organization is interested in supporting our podcast, please email sponsor at radiotopia.fm. Our podcast production team for this episode includes Kathy Tu, Pierce Percelli, David Nadelberg, and myself, Neil Catcher. music by Gordon Bash, Alex Burke, Adam Smith, and Snake, Snake, Snakes. Additional thanks to Jared Bogley, Kate Frolick, Marina Schifrin, Graham Fuchs, Melanie Merritt, Julia Wright, Christina Galante, and all the dedicated Mortified Live producers whose work make the stage show possible. Until next time, we remind you that we are freaks, we are fragile, and we all survived.